Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. This is the second episode where we're talking about how Psalm 107 shows us that our life is a constant conversation with God, an unavoidable conversation with God. And you live inside God's universe, and so it's unavoidable to have to deal with God. God created you. God created you in His image. God created you with instinctive longings that are spiritual and that are existential. And that's why even those who reject God talk about emptiness And talk about this idea that the universe wants something to happen or will the universe let something happen. We just instinctively know we live inside the universe of someone bigger than us who's in charge and who created us. And that reality and all the realities because of that are unavoidable. So when you try to create your own life, when you try to live in your own reality, kind of create your own world, that is always going to lead to dysfunction, ways that your life gets offline with the real universe, with the reality that God has created and that your life is in, unavoidable reality your life is in. This looks like different things in people's lives. And Psalm 107 gives us kind of four windows to look through, to look at the ways that our life gets offline with reality when it gets offline with God who created this universe. We looked at the first two in the last episode. The first was looking through this window that that life is like being in a desert, wandering in a desert, constantly hungry and thirsty, and our soul, it says, fainting within us, longing to live in a city with community and belonging and protection and provision and flourishing, and yet we can't ever really get there. We're just wandering, perhaps from one relationship to another, or living in one place or another, always the grass is greener, always trying to find the right job that makes us happy and can't find it always trying to find the right belief system, so to speak, and we move on from one to the next, always hungry and always thirsty. And this was the Bible's metaphor for our desire for God that we don't see as that. And so we're always trying to find other things, broken cisterns, God says in Jeremiah 2, that cannot hold water because we're constantly trying to avoid him as the fountain of living waters. The other window was this idea of sitting in darkness in a prison, underground, in a pit, behind bars, in chains, and that that was a metaphor for life that comes from just what said, rebelling against the word of God and spurning the counsel of the most high. Living inside his universe, you can't spurn his counsel and not end up in your own prison of your own making. Whenever we're seduced by false promises, we end up being thinking we're getting freedom, thinking we're able to live our own free life, but we end up more and more in the chains that are created by trying to pursue our own freedom from God the Most High. Then the psalm gives uh, two more that we're going to look at in this episode. The third one is in verse 17. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathe any kind of food. 
and they drew near to the gates of death. This is a window to look through to the human condition of what it is to live offline with the reality of the universe that God has made and made us to live in, to have a constant relationship with him. We're having a constant conversation with God that's manifesting itself always in our decisions to either draw near or to get away. And here this picture is one who they says they're fools. A fool in the Bible is someone who's literally living offline with reality. A kind of irrational behavior that is being driven by destructive desires. So it says because of their iniquities, they they suffered affliction. The Bible always portrays sin as stupid, as irrational, that if we thought rationally, we wouldn't do it. I like the way Jonathan Haidt, he's he's an atheist, but he's written a book called The Happiness Hypothesis, and he's developed this analogy that's become pretty popular among Christians to explain, I think it it well explains how our life works. He says, our decision-making process is like a person riding an elephant. The writer is the rational. The writer is the mind. The writer is reason. And the elephant is emotion and desire. And our lives are kind of like a writer riding an elephant. The the elephant's more powerful. The elephant's going to ultimately go where it wants to go. The writer has a vote, but the elephant has to decide whether or not he's going to agree with that vote. And we have this rational part of us that is really on top of this bigger part of us that's our emotion and our desire. And at the end of the day, the emotion, our emotion and our desire is going to win out. And so the key is to try to have as much rational input as we can, use our reason, use our mind to focus our desires, focus our emotions where we think we want to be, where it's the right place to be. And then hopefully the emotions will buy into that. The fool is someone who is simply riding the emotions, riding desire where desire wants to go, but desire has been fooled. Desire has been shown a false promise, and it keeps heading toward the false promise. And so it says that they were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. Just the natural consequence that comes when we reject the God that created this universe, we still live inside of his universe, and we're going to suffer affliction because sin is its own punishment. It's always its own punishment. It says they loathed any kind of food. In other words, the real food that would bring strength to them was something undesirable to them. Remember what David said in Psalm 38 when he was confessing the reality of how his sin has destroyed his life. He says in Psalm 38, 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Sin makes us stupid. It makes us keep doing the same things and sin is its own punishment. And so because of our foolishness, our lives become more and more dysfunctional. They stink and they fester. We hate real food. And we blame God for our problems, even though our problems have come because we've ignored God. So Proverbs 19.3 says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. We bring our own problems into our lives because we spurn the counsel of the Most High. We turn away from Him. We don't want to eat His real food. 
A person's folly leads to their own destruction, their own ruin, their own affliction, and yet they blame God. Their heart rages against the Lord. They're mad at God for letting this happen. Why would God let this happen? Why did God let me have this? Why did God bring this? Why does God not take this away? So we have this sense that God is in charge, and yet we want to live as if he's not. That's irrational, of course, but that's what foolishness always is. That's what sin always is. The book of Revelation talks about this in Revelation 16, 11, where it talks about the afflictions that people bring into their lives because of their sin. And it says they cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. So they're, they're cursing God because of the affliction that comes through their, their foolishness, but they refuse to repent. Instead, they curse God for letting this happen. You ever do that? You ever have your life get so messed up by your foolishness, by your own foolish, sinful choices, and then when you start to get into the real affliction of that, you blame God that he let it happen? Blame God that he wouldn't get you out of this? The prophet Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 8, verse 21. It says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and, looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Isn't that so true to the human condition? We, we get ourselves because of our foolishness, because of our iniquity, because of our sin. We get ourselves in situations where we become distressed and hungry. Everything hungry means spiritually, metaphorically, thirsty. And we roam throughout the land and we are famished and we become enraged, looking upward, cursing God for our problems. When we get ourselves in trouble, we want to be helped. But we don't want help. We don't really want the help that God wants to give us. We just want to be helped out of this situation so that we can continue our own foolish ways. But eventually we come to a point where our reason starts to become more rational and we realize I've got myself in a situation that's miserable, kind of like the prodigal son when he realized that he was eating just like pigs. The pig, In fact, that he was saying the pigs back on his dad's farm ate better than he's eating now. I got to get back to my dad. I got to get back to my father. Our self-damage sometimes gets us to the point where we wake up We see how we've damaged ourselves. We see how our sin is damaging and has damaged those we love the most. We sort of come to our senses. We come to the knowledge of the truth. The Apostle Paul talks about this kind of situation in 2 Timothy 2.25. He talks about the person who's gotten themselves into this self-destructive, self-damaged mess and damaging those we love the most. He says, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's a great description of this window we see here. Verse 17, again, let me just read it. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. But verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. In other words, they got to the point where they realized, like the prodigal son, I am my own worst enemy. My sin has ruined my life. It's been its own punishment. I want to come back to God. So it says in verse 20, He sent out His word and healed them. 
and delivered them from their destruction. What was it that healed them? His word. Do they want that food? Well, hopefully they got to the point where they do now. And by taking in the food of God's word, it healed them and God delivered them from their destruction. What delivered them? His word, his truth, his light. So verse 21, let them, it says the same thing it's been saying in all these other windows as well. For let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. In other words, we reject God, we turn from God, we wander in our own deserts because we really don't want the water God gives, the food God provides. We want to create our own reality, live in our own world, rebel against his words, it says, for they rebelled against the words of God. They spurned the counsel of the Most High. They were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, but then they cried out to God. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord, thank Yahweh, thank the I am for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works. Verse 22, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Thanksgiving, joy comes when we finally give up and return to God and take in his word and see it as our food and our our water, according to his steadfast love for us. We're telling our elephant a better story, so to speak. We're telling our desires and our emotions to live in the better story, God's story, that God is our only living water and our bread of life and our light and our freedom, our true freedom. His story is the story of true flourishing, true freedom. The fourth window we look through, the last window we look through, is really kind of complicated. It starts in verse 23, and, and it says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. In the Bible, sea travel can be a metaphor for life, just journeying through life and the wonder and the terror of life like sea travel. Sometimes there's clear days and we feel in control and we have an overconfidence and then we, we were experiencing God giving us success. It says they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. He commanded and raised the stormy wind and lifted up the waves of the sea. And so in some sense, it seems like things are were being elevated. But then that storm is also going to drop us down to the depths and their courage melted away in their evil plight. And they reeled and they staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. There's a sense in which we feel like we're in control of our lives. Life is going as we want it. We pursue something. We experience success. God gives us success in the sense that like it says here, he's raising the waves. But then they realize they're just a small speck on a large stormy sea and they are not in control like they thought they were. And the reality is that we're not in control like we think we are. The illusion is shattered. 
Our life is suddenly filled with anxiety and worry. It says their courage melted away in their evil plight. I think that means that in their confidence, in their overconfidence, in their sense that they're in control, they ignored God and just wanted to live according to what they thought would bring them happiness. That's an evil plight. It's a self-willed plight. It's like all the other windows of wandering in the desert and being hungry and thirsty and rejecting God as the true fountain of living waters and trying trying to build our own broken cisterns that don't hold water and spurning the counsel of the most high and rejecting God's word and therefore rebelling against God's word and creating our own prisons and our prisons of darkness in a pit underground in chains and also having this sense of being fools and our own iniquities are bringing our own afflictions Here it's said in kind of a positive way at first, and then it becomes an overwhelming storm that's taking them down to the depths of the ocean, and they're at their wit's end. They realize that their life had become way too out of control when they thought they were in control. They got humbled by reality. The storm made them realize they live in not their own universe. Somebody else is in control, and they got humbled. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. They finally gave their lives to God. They saw their story as being in God's story. And so God allowed them to experience the storm and then God calmed the storm and brought them ultimately to their desired haven. Now, this is a lifetime sped up, time-lapse photography. This is a metaphor for our life, but that if we cry to the Lord in our trouble and see and desire His will for our lives and, in a sense, turn our elephant toward the better story of the gospel, God will bring us ultimately to our desired haven through the storm, through the waves, Of course, we see pictures of exactly this in the Gospels when Jesus is walking on the water and the waves and the storm and they're afraid. And then he says, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And he gets in the boat and the sea comes to a calm and they are immediately at the other side. We also see this when they're in a boat and again, a storm on the lake and the waves and they wake Jesus up and he raises up his hand and he just rebukes the storm and it comes to a calm. I think those were stories that are happened because they illustrate this psalm, that God is in control, that Jesus is the I am, and that his steadfast love and his wondrous works are going to bring us to our desired flourishing, our desired haven, our desired rest. The point of this whole psalm is verse 1, where it says the same thing that verse 1 of Psalm 106 said. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh. Give thanks to the I Am, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. But the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. God is going to gather us in from our desert. He's going to gather us in from our prison. He's going to gather us in from our foolish ways that have brought us affliction. He's going to gather us in from the storm and He's going to bring us into His flourishing, His kingdom that returns to earth when Jesus returns. Our desired haven, 
where he is truly the fountain of living waters. He is the light that frees us from our dark prisons. He is the food that we loathe, but that brings strength to our lives. He's the only one in charge of the storm and the waves. And life is not in our control. We have to humble ourselves and come to him. God's love is our only help, but we must call on him. And he brings about the great reversal. Those who have called out to him in their suffering are going to experience a great flourishing. And those who remain proud and think pride is the way they control their lives and bring happiness are going to experience a great reversal that humbles them. So verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Because of the evil of its inhabitants, God is going to turn the world, their life from rivers to desert, from springs of water to thirsty ground, from fruitful land to a salty waste. It's because of their evil. It brings its own punishment because of the evil of its inhabitants, because we live in God's universe. But, but, verse 35, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. That's going to be the great reversal of the kingdom of God when heaven returns to earth. And it also happens in our lives existentially. He turns our desert into pools of water, our parched land into springs of water when we turn to him. And live inside his bigger story, better story of the gospel, of Christ being the perfect king. God leads the exiles who call out to him to a flourishing, fruitful dwelling. But God will banish the proud where there is no life. So the last verse says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the I Am. To turn to the one whose steadfast love endures forever, who is, has a will for us that is good. He is our only good, and he is the one whose steadfast love endures forever. So Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says in John seven thirty seven, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. What a big claim. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, Jesus is clearly calling himself the Yahweh of the Psalms, the I am of the Psalms. He goes on to say, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And I think Jesus is talking about this Psalm, rivers of living water. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. He is the I am of this psalm. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Just come. Come to me, he says. Just come to me. Let's do that. Jesus, I come to you right now. I come to you. I'm like the prodigal son who thought that I could spend what you've given me, the life you've given me, the gifts that you've given me, my abilities. I could spend finding freedom my own way, and every time that I do, I end up worse off than the pigs in your kingdom, wandering in a desert, thirsty and hungry. 
and becoming my own worst enemy in the prisons of my own making, the darkness of my own making, because I rebel against your words and spurn the counsel of the Most High, and I become a fool that brings affliction into my life because sin is always its own punishment, and I damage myself and I damage those I love the most. And I think that I'm the captain of my own ship, but I'm on your waters, and your waters are controlled by you. Only you bring true fountain of living water. Only you bring freedom from the bonds that my sin has imprisoned me. Only you bring true food of your word to heal me and to deliver me in my own destruction because of your steadfast love and your wondrous works in Christ. I want to come to you, Jesus and find rest for my soul. I want to come to you because you are the spring of living water in the desert. Only you will satisfy my soul that you have created for you to satisfy and to be satisfied in your city, in your kingdom, with you always present and living in the community of those who have a resurrection like Jesus without sin, without death, without disease, without jealousy, without insecurity, without envy, without pride. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things, this verse says. I want to be wise, and I want to give my emotions and my desires the better story of your promises, because your promises of all that you are for me are more satisfying than the false promises, the empty promises, the prison that results from the false promises of sin the desert that the false promises of sin always take me to, the storms that the false promises of sin cannot subside. I want to be wise. I want to live by this great reversal of the kingdom of God returning to earth in Jesus. And I want to remember the steadfast love of the I am. I give thanks to you, for you are good Your will for me is good. You are my only good. There is no good apart from your will. There is no good apart from your story for me. There is no good apart from obeying you, following you, coming to you, bowing to you, living for you, trusting you, following you. There is no good outside of you. For your steadfast love endures forever forever. Your story for me is forever, an enduring story of forever, of your steadfast love, the safe haven that you bring me to that's forever, the darkness you bring me out of that's forever, the fountain of living waters that's forever. I give thanks to you for your steadfast love and for your wondrous works for me in Christ. By your death on the cross, by your resurrection, you are bringing the miracles of healing to my broken life. Only your will is steadfast love that endures forever. Only your will is the safe haven that I've desired all my life that endures forever. Only your will turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. I'm tired of forgetting to remember this truth that I know is true. I believe it. And so I take in your word. I meditate on your word. I pray to you through your word. I want to bring your word into my life. 
your spirit more in control of my life, flourishing in my life, bringing light to my life, bringing pools of living water in my life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I pray that the rivers of living water of your Holy Spirit, of Christ in my life, would flow within me and from within me and cause flourishing in me and bring flourishing to others through my life. I come to you, Lord Jesus, and I drink from your word, from your promises, from your Holy Spirit, from your presence in my life so that your rivers of living water will flow from within me, in me, and bring me into your safe haven forever, your fountain of living water forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.